All right, good morning, Gate City Vineyard. Um, my name is Chris, and I, I'm one of the elders here, um, and we're going to be continuing our Fun with Family series this morning. Um, when Pastor Beth first asked me to teach this morning, she suggested the title, um, Raising a Family Without Losing Your Mind. And my first thought, my first thought was that I am unquestionably unqualified to, te <laughs> to teach that lesson. Um, and Beth must have asked me to do that because she's only been here about a year and so she's managed to avoid seeing me lose my mind too many times. But, but I have plenty of evidence to back up my feelings here. Um, my mind quickly went back to my son Micah's first ever basketball season. Um, he was all of three years old and uh, we had just finished his first ever soccer season with, which I have to say was a success as long as you qualify success as running around in a pack of kids, kicking the ball every once in a while, sometimes in the right direction, but most importantly, stopping everything and looking up in the sky when an airplane passes over. <laughs> um, so after that triumph, I figured basketball would continue our trajectory of success. After all, he should have the genes to be tall down the road, and so let, let's get him started now. But from the first practice, I could tell things were going to be different. His coach was an attorney. <laughs> now, to be clear, I don't have anything against lawyers, but she was intense. At the first practice, she went over several offensive positions and defensive positions, what they do and where they're supposed to stand, and Micah completely froze, <laughs> completely overwhelmed. I'm talking deer in headlights. I figured first days of things can be hard, so, so I figured things would get better once we had a game. So game day comes, he puts his uniform on, we go to his first game, and when we get there, he bursts into tears. He clings to our legs and, and begs us to not make him go out onto the court. And as an aspiring sports dad, I am mortified. <laughs> You know, of course, I was hoping that he'd be the star of the team and be on the path for a college scholarship, so this was not the start to his basketball career that I had envisioned. So as the team gets ready for the game, um, I take him, you, there's a big blue curtains that divide the courts. And so I take him behind the curtain um, and, and we start to talk and it got ugly. He's crying saying he wants to go home. I'm telling him that we paid good money for him to play on this team. He's crying louder and screaming that he wants to go home. And I'm screaming that we can talk about it more after this season, but we made a commitment to play eight games and that's what we're gonna do. My wife was finally able to, to talk me off the ledge after the game. She must have reminded me at least 20 times that, that he was three years old, um, but it was, it was certainly eye-opening for me. It was one of so many reminders I've had along the way that the parenting is hard. There are always unexpected twists and turns. It can easily get really emotional, 
and it can bring to the surface so much of what we have going on inside that, that we don't always address or acknowledge. You know, unlike a paid job, there, there's no rest for the weary. It's 24-7, and inevitably, some of our very toughest moments occur when we're physically or emotionally exhausted. And maybe the cruelest part is just when you feel like you start to get settled into a good rhythm, they get older, and then a new issue replaces the one that you think that you just solved. So unfortunately, if, if you came in here looking for a foolproof how-to manual for parenting today, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Um, but I do believe that God has, has put a message on my heart that can bring hope for us parents. Um, and in addition, if you're not a biological parent, I think this is still really relevant for you. As my hunch is that you can quickly think of somebody that, for whom you play a role of a mentor or, or a guide or, or a spiritual parent. And so I pray that God meets you today as well as you consider those relationships that you've been entrusted with. And the reason I think that this can bring hope is this, that God has given us the perfect role model for parenting. You know, Scripture repeatedly describes those who, follow, who have decided to follow Jesus as children of God. And that wording, that wording is very intentional. You know, when we decide to follow Jesus, God adopts us as his own children and loves us with the deep love of a parent. We see that in 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So the best way to find out what a good parent looks like is to look at our Father in heaven. Amen. He parents us perfectly so we can ask him to guide us and show us how we can follow his role model of parenting. So before we get into a few practical elements, I think it's important for us to understand the ultimate goal of parenting that God has established for us. And we see that in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the phrase I want to key on is the highlighted phrase. He chose them to become like his son. So God's goal in parenting each and every one of us who follow Jesus is to make us more and more like Jesus. So the next slide, um, God-centered parenting, if we're following God's role model, has the primary goal of children becoming more like Jesus. And that should be our central prayer and our central pursuit. To me, this is one of those things that makes all the sense in the world in concept, but when I think about real daily life, it can be pretty convicting. You know, it's really easy to focus on wanting our kids to be successful in school or in a job or on a sports team or to be able to finally move out of the house or to, to find a compatible spouse or, or simply to stay out of too much trouble. 
And, and to be sure, those are good things. Those are very good things. But if we're following God's parenting model, those things shouldn't be our ultimate focus. Our ultimate focus should be our children becoming more and more like Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to explore a few ways that God parents us and then look at how we can apply that, that model in our own parenting and our mentoring. So the, the first is this, that God is a fully present parent. You know, when I think about the awesomeness and the transcendence of God, this is one of the things that comes to mind first for me, that, that in his infinite power, God can be fully present and in relationship with the eight billion people in our world. You know, it blows my mind that out of everything going on in the world that I have constant and direct access to God and that God is fully present with me and with you at all times. So the encouragement that, um, that Moses gave to Israel in Deuteronomy 31 is true for us today as well where Moses said this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so those final words, he will never leave you nor forsake you, they've brought me so much comfort in my life, and I'm, I'm guessing that they've brought so much comfort for many of you. That, that no matter what happens or what we do, God is still there, offering his love, offering his support, and that in every circumstance, God is for us, wanting us to experience his love and the abundant life that he is offering. And what a powerful thing this is that we can model for our children, that we will never leave them nor forsake them. You know, thankfully, God has made this more manageable for us. I don't have to be fully present for 8 billion people. Um, uh, you know, my, my two kids are, are plenty for me to handle. Um, uh, and of course, of course, our kids will frustrate us. We'll be, we'll be disappointed in some choices they make along the way. We'll feel disconnected from them, and we may have to set up healthy boundaries at times. But even in the midst of all of those things, we can provide a deep peace for them if they know that we will be fully present for them and that we will never turn our backs on them and that we will be always 100% for them, just like God is for us. So a pretty simple yet challenging application of this for me is asking myself if I'm fully present for my kids. You know, I'll, I'll readily admit it. There are plenty of times when I have so many things on my mind and I find that I can't remember what my kid said 10 seconds ago. Or they'll be talking to me and they flat out have to ask me to put my phone down because they know that I didn't hear what, what they just said. You know, at my kid's age, I, I'm, I'm, Micah's 11, Zoe's 8, and they're often talking about something that might not seem super critical to capture. It, it might be why the Pokemon cards that have a VMAX logo on the top are more desirable than the other ones. You learned something today. Um, or, or tips on how to master a back walkover in competition gymnastics. But in the midst of those everyday conversations, sometimes they'll sneak in something deeper. Yeah. 
maybe about something that, that hurt their feelings or um, um, hopes and dreams that they have or, or an encounter that they recently had with God. And if I'm not listening, really listening to the first part about Pokemon and, and gymnastics, they're not going to share those deeper things. And it establishes a pattern because if they know that we're fully present and listening now, they'll develop confidence that down the road we'll also be fully present and listening when teenage and adult life hits and the stakes become much, much higher. A related application of God-centered parenting is the words that we speak to our children. So um, God consistently speaks words of life to us as his children. You know, this happened back from creation as God directly breathed life into Adam. And he's been speaking words of life to us ever since. You know, throughout scripture, we see God telling people about their infinite worth and potential. Um, you know, immediately I think of, uh, among so many others, the encounters that, that Moses and Mary and Paul all had with God, where God met them face to face, right where they were, in the midst of doubts, in the midst of fear and shame, and he spoke to them about the incredible plans that he had for them. You know, the same is true for us today. I love the picture of Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So God is rejoicing over each of his children with singing. He sees our potential and our promise and, and the beauty of the hearts, bodies, and the minds that he's given each one of us. And he's speaking to our hearts about who we can be and the life that we can experience as we trust him. So how can we model this in our parenting? You know, my takeaway is that, that the words that we speak to our kids are so immensely powerful. You know, one way our kids will develop confidence that we are always for them is if we are speaking words of life and encouragement to them and over them. And if you're like me, this requires intentionality. You know, I often find myself focused and, and looking out for things that, that they're doing wrong um, without being nearly as focused on finding opportunities to speak life and to speak encouragement to them. And to take this further, let's go back to the big idea from the beginning that, that our goal is to help children become more like Jesus. So in particular, our words can speak life into our kids by pointing out the potential God has given them to impact the world. You know, I think of Jesus, some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here Jesus is entrusting God's children to carry on the mission of the church. And that continues today. 
One of the ways that God makes us, his children, more like Jesus is that he gives us opportunities to love others, to serve others, and to minister to others, just like Jesus did. So as earthly parents and earthly mentors, we can be looking for those moments to, to reinforce those truths to our kids and help them to realize the amazing honor, privilege, and responsibility that God has given them. You know, and like the other examples, this is something that you can do for others if you aren't their biological parents. My friend Natasha Robinson is, is the founder of a nonprofit that's dedicated to mentoring um, uh, with a specific focus on, on African-American middle school and high school girls. And she says this in her book, uh, A Sojourner's Truth, and I, I absolutely love it. Often I tell my mentees that life is not about how you start, it's about how you finish. We can craft a better future. We can commit to experiencing the presence of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We can become the kind of people who get behind God and move courageously even when we don't know where we are going. We can be the redeemed who build for a new day. We can be disciples who make disciples, mentors who multiply, leaders, servants, and laborers who seize the opportunity to lay critical building blocks for the new kingdom. Now, what, what a powerful message. One that our children, whether they're young or, or they're grown, they need to hear this over and over and over and over again. You know, unfortunately, our kids hear a lot of negative messages, right, uh, about themselves, and those messages are so easy to internalize, and to believe. So one of the most important things we can do as God-centered parents is to speak life into our kids by recognizing their infinite worth and God's desire to use them so powerfully to impact their families, their schools, and their communities. Now, if I were sitting where you are today listening to me, I would be thinking this is all great about being present with my kids and singing over them and speaking life into them, but let's get real. In our family, we have conflict on a regular basis, and sometimes my kids don't listen, they don't respect, and they don't obey, and I'm often at my wit's end trying to figure out how to deal with it. I get it. That is a frequent conversation in our household as well. Um, you know, I, I know quite a few families, and though they all have different flavors, it's an all too common journey for all of us, trying to figure out how to deal with behavior issues and challenges. But fortunately, however, God models that for us as well, as scripture is clear that he disciplines his children. And importantly, we see that God uses discipline rather than punishment. So let's explore that for a minute. The book of Hebrews says this, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by, his, by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate 
not true sons and daughters at all. So, not only is discipline okay, it's an essential component of a parent-child relationship. You know, by accepting us as his children, God also takes responsibility for disciplining us. So what can we learn from how he disciplines us? You know, again, thinking of it in the context of what we've already covered, that God wants us, that God wants to make us more like Jesus, and that God is always present and always for us, that gives us some really helpful parameters for discipline. After all, the word for discipline is closely related to the word disciple, right? So God-centered discipline should help make disciples or followers of God. Discipline should have a, a clear purpose of fostering positive change rather than being an arbitrary punishment, and it doesn't have to put hostility between a parent and a child. After all, you know, God can discipline each one of us while still lavishing his love on us. Those two things can coexist. Um, Doug and Kathy Fields were pastors at Saddleback Church, and they have a great resource called Intentional Parenting. And they, and they contrast um, intentional discipline with quick-fix punishment. So as you can see here, punishment is driven by anger and emotion. You know, a child misbehaves, is that the child is set against the parent. In contrast, God's model of discipline aligns the child and the parent together against the consequence. And the prevailing emotion here, then, is actually sadness. Um, because the parent and the child together can grieve what has happened and talk about how to move forward I'm going to move forward from there. Again, I know it sounds great in concept. I can't count how many times I've blown up when, when my kids start fighting with each other, when they don't do something I've already asked them to do 25 times, when they whine and complain about how they're bored, uh, and the list goes on. And all too often in those moments, I, I scream and I shake my fists and I, and I just blurt out the first consequence that comes to mind. But what, what the intentional parenting book suggests is as much as possible, it, they call it dis, discipline by choice, um, which includes a fair consequence that is clearly communicated ahead of time and is connected to the offense. So again, a fair consequence that's communicated, really importantly, ahead of time and is connected to the offense. You know, God often does this in scripture, I think about the Garden of Eden, where, where God told Adam what the consequences would be if they, if they ate the fruit from the tree in the garden. And when those expectations are made beforehand, the dynamic changes because the child willingly chooses to disobey knowing what the consequences would be. And so then the parent and the child can, can grieve together about what happened and ideally talk about what could go different the next time around. So um, the last aspect of God's parenting that I want to discuss today is that God gives his children free will. This is a really key aspect uh, of God's love for us, that, that he gives us the freedom 
to respond to his love by following him, but he never forces us and he never coerces us. To be sure, he deeply desires that each one of us follow him. You know, Second Peter tells us that God wants all people to seek forgiveness and, and follow Jesus. But out of his love for us, he doesn't force us. You know, a good example of this is again back in Deuteronomy, where Moses is, is explaining the terms of the covenant that God is making with Israel. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will be destroyed. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. So we see here that God's desire and God's command is to love God and obey God, but that doesn't mean that it will automatically happen. God gives his children choice, and in turn, we need to give our children choice as hard as that may be. I've already seen that this, is, this, this can be really hard, and I know it's just going to get harder, um, especially if my kids get a little bit older and they, and they start to navigate things like, like bullies at school or, or friendships where they can feel left out or, or other kids talking about things or, or doing things that I'd rather not have my kids talking about or doing. You know, there are times when I would love to put my kids in one of those big plastic bubbles and, and insulate them from, from everything in the world and protect them from everything in the world. But love means giving people an appropriate amount of freedom. And, uh, and that's, that's how God loves us, after all, as well. So what that means, of course, is that our, our kids will take their own journeys. You know, and we're going to inevitably, we're going to be happy with some parts of those journeys, and we're going to be not as happy with other parts of that journey. You know, God is the same way with us. He rejoices when we walk in step with his spirit, and he mourns when we go astray. And if we go astray, it's not as if it's God's fault, right? Remember, God is the perfect parent but it's rather a product of God giving us freedom in a world that has both very good as well as very evil. So with that perspective, I wanna, I wanna speak to any of you where, whose children might be heavy on your heart this morning. You know, again, maybe, maybe it's your biological kids or, or maybe it's kids that, that you love dearly uh, as a family member, a mentor, as a family member, a mentor, or a friend. You know, it, it's so hard to watch our kids struggle and to watch them make choices that, that we sense deeply aren't what God wants for them. You know, in particular, it's so hard not to dwell on the past and, and wonder if things would, would have turned out differently if we had done A, B, C instead of X, Y, Z. You know, if we had handled this situation differently or if we had said this thing in, instead of that thing. And of course, how we parent does play a critical role in our kids' formation. 
But I want, what I want you to hear this morning is that, that there's no magic formula that says that if you do a good enough job parenting, then, then your kids will turn out just like you want them to. It's not like baking a cake, where if you, know, if you can just get all the right ingredients and put it in the oven for the right amount of time, that cake's gonna turn out delicious. It's a lot more complicated than that, a lot more unpredictable than that. Remember, God is the fully perfect parent, and yet so many of us wander from him. Not because of anything about who he is or what he has done, but because he has given us freedom to chart our own courses. So what, what do we do with that? I look to the story that Jesus tells us of the prodigal son in Luke, where the father's son has chosen to leave home and, and squander his whole inheritance, leaving himself in a terrible situation where he's hit rock bottom and has no food. Here's what Jesus says. And this is a talking about the son. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, when we read this passage, we often focus on the son and, and the truth that we can always seek forgiveness from God. But as we consider God-centered parenting this morning, we can learn a lot from the father in the story too. You know, can you imagine, I mean, how much he must have wanted to force the son to stay at home, knowing that, you know, you can see what kind of choices he's about to make. But he knew that he needed to give his son freedom. But at the same time, he was hoping and praying and waiting and preparing for his son's return. So if you're in a similar situation this morning, I just, I just want to give you some encouragement. Keep hoping. Keep praying, keep preparing yourselves to welcome your children home. You know, ask God to, f to free you from any bondage that you might be experiencing, coming from feelings of, of shame or, or regret or, or wondering what, what could have been. And ask God to give you the perspective of the father in this story who continues to believe in the potential of his child and is always ready to run to his child and to throw his arms around him. You know, that's how God deals with each one of us. He's always ready to run to us and welcome us back and prepare a feast in our honor.
One final word I, I felt led to share this morning is this. You know, while, while it's amazing that as we've seen today that God has established this model for, for parenting that we can follow and that we can emulate through the power of the Holy Spirit, there will also likely be times along the way when we fall short of those principles in, in how we deal with our kids. Again, let's be real. Parenting is hard. It demands our attention even when we're tired even when we're worn down and we never know what's coming next. You know, I, for me, I, I think about when I've been too distracted or, or too stressed to be fully present for my kids, when, when I've reacted to things that, that they've said or done out of anger, when I've been overly critical and had way too much of a focus on shortcomings rather than speaking life and encouragement into them. So when those times arise, when we realize that, that we didn't react in a God-centered God way to a given situation with our kids, my encouragement to each of us is this, that sometimes what we need more than anything else is simply the humility to say, I'm sorry. You know, there, there are some parenting models out there that, say that, that would say that we need to keep a tight grip on our authority at all costs, and, and as a result, we should never apologize to our kids. And I'll tell you, I'm still definitely learning this whole parenting thing, and I always will be, but I am convinced, deeply convinced, that that kind of model is not a God-centered one. Because forgiveness is the very foundation of Christianity and following Jesus. I love how Paul explains this in Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So asking for forgiveness from our kids is actually a powerful way that we can love our kids. You know, we demonstrate our love for God by asking for forgiveness from God, and so we can demonstrate our love for our children by asking for their forgiveness when we fall short as parents. You know, I like to think of forgiveness as just this, this powerful grease in the wheels of a relationship. It creates a two-way movement because um, we're, we're way more likely to seek forgiveness from someone when we've been forgiven by them in the past. That's a mutually um, a beneficial thing that, that just greases those wheels over time. You know, rather than being a sign of weakness or failure, Asking for forgiveness from our kids when we fall short is a sign of deep respect and deep love for them. So as we close today, I, I pray that God has, has nudged you or, or inspired you at some point along the way. I just want to re reiterate, parenting and mentoring, it's an immensely difficult challenge, but it's also a tremendous honor and a tremendous privilege and God is with each one of us every step of the way. So let's pray together. God, this morning, I, I just want to thank you for adopting us as your children, Lord, when we, when we decide to follow you, Lord, that you would lavish your love upon us and call us children of God. Lord, what, what an honor, what a privilege. 
Lord, we are so deeply grateful and so deeply thankful, God. And thank you that, Lord, we can look to you as the perfect parent, God. And that through how you parent us, we can look at that and then in turn parent others. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray for, Lord, I pray for parents and mentors here today that may be tired or, or weary or discouraged, God. I pray that your spirit would bring them peace and, and comfort and, and restoration and rejuvenation, God. Lord that, Lord, that they'd be able to draw strength from you, you know, knowing that we can't do this well on our own. We can only do it by, by looking to you and, and trusting you every step of the way, God. Lord, I pray for parents that may be in sorrow about Lord, life choices that their, that their kids may have made or the situations that their kids may find themselves in, God. Lord, like the father of the prodigal son, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to, to keep praying and keep believing and keep preparing that feast for their kids, Lord, that they'd be, that they'd be able to just clearly communicate, communicate to, our, to their kids that that they are for them and that God is for them and that they are always ready to welcome them back, to throw their arms around them and prepare a feast in their honor. And God, finally, I pray for any parents and mentors that are in a strained relationship with their kids or experiencing any tension. God, I pray, Lord, that your, your rivers of forgiveness, Lord, would sweep over them, God. Lord, that, Lord, that we'd just be able to remember that relationship with with God and relationship with one another is more important than everything God and so that you'd give us each the the humility and the and the compassion to ask for forgiveness and to readily forgive one another Lord that you would bring healing Lord in places where where there are wounds and where there's where there's animosity or resentment God that Lord that you would turn hearts towards you Lord, because you've been so, so gracious in forgiving us. So help us to do the same as we forgive one another, God. Lord, we're so grateful for you, and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.